Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. This is the word of the Lord. Gospel reading is from Luke, chapter 17, reading from verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me until I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Thanks be to God. After hearing that reading, I wish uh, some of our politicians would read some Habakkuk occasionally, I think. Um, um, uh, Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Kurt Vonnegut, in his uh, The Sirens of Titan, uh, said this, There is no reason why good cannot triumph as often as evil. The triumph of anything is a matter of organisation. If there are such things as angels... I hope that they are organised along the lines of the Mafia.
I'm sure for all of us, there are, are times in our lives where we struggle with what the concept of faith is. We struggle with what its nature is and, and what its impact upon us is. Is it that we need a better quality of faith? Or is it that we need more of it? So, we might want to say, do I have more or less than a mustard seed's worth within me at this precise moment? And how would you know? Is the level of faith you have affected by what time of day it is, whether you've just woken up or you're feeling tired? Is it affected by how well you're doing in your life? Is faith just about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and then carrying on regardless whatever happens? Is faith just a list of beliefs? Is it your attitude to the Bible and its inerrancy? Is it about not swearing and being a good boy or girl and no lustful thoughts, etc., etc., etc.? Is that what faith is and nothing else? And what about those times in life where everything just seems a bit tough and a bit awful and where faith itself just seems like sheer hard work? The times where turning up at church is a labour of love and I mean a real labour of love, especially when the sermon is dull and boring. I'm saying nothing about today. And then there are those other challenges that we as people who claim to have faith will go through. Those times, and we get them on a daily basis, where we are confronted by ethical conundrums, and whichever way, nothing seems quite right. It's never nice and easy. We almost seem to have to choose between the bad and the worse. And how do we deal with that? How do we come through still holding on to our conscience in those times? And then there are those other times where we are confronted by situations that are so dreadful, so awful, that we can almost be paralysed. How do we respond? What is the right thing to do? The disciples go up to Jesus and they say, Lord, add to our faith. Seemingly, there's nothing wrong with that. It's an understandable request. That desire for more resources to see us through. More courage, more hope, more resilience, more bloody-mindedness, more wisdom, just so that we can deal with the everyday, let alone all of the other big events that are happening in the world, let alone how on earth we respond to the political situation around us, let alone how we respond to the needs of our community and our families and of ourselves. Lord, add to our faith a perfectly understandable thing for, for that group of men in their situation. There is no hope for their country. It has been overrun. Corruption rife across the, the nation. All kinds of injustice. Life expectancy for a man was about 29 years at that point because either they were being brutally wiped out by the Romans or they were starving to death. Lord, add to our faith 
seems a perfectly sensible thing, especially when they're starting to realize that actually there might just be a bit of a cost attached to following this man all the way around Galilee and beyond. For that group of men, they must have felt that they were effectively in exile in their own nation. Lord, add to our faith. And yet Jesus' response seems to be of no help at all. In fact, he turns around and he tells them off. You haven't got enough faith. If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you would have the authority to do the most unlikely things. Luke's gospel at this point appears to be a random set of of collections of sayings. But all of them are relating to the kingdom of God itself. And Jesus makes it explicit later on, uh, beyond our reading for today, where he says the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. In other words, Jesus is trying to say to the disciples, will you stop fretting about whether or not you've got faith and act in faith instead? Stop worrying and start doing. Stop being paralyzed. Stop messing about. Stop worrying and shilly-shallying, but just get on with it. Act in faith. Run like you believe you can win. Live like you believe that poverty should be history. Let go of your resentments as if forgiveness were the final reality. Start living out your faith. Stop fretting about it. And while we can say, okay, that makes some sense, it doesn't necessarily seem to be terribly helpful, Jesus' words there. It would be nice if there was some reassurance. Come and work for my kingdom and there'll be a nice reward at the end. Come and work for my kingdom and I can guarantee that everything will be lovely for you. But Jesus doesn't offer that reassurance. Instead, he says that those of us who follow him are going to be like slaves. And that's where it starts to get a bit uncomfortable, if we're really honest. Not least because... I hope we don't like the concept of slavery particularly, but I'm sure we don't necessarily like the thought that we ourselves are in some way in the kind of slave-master relationship. But here, I think Jesus, when he offers this, he's saying to them that even a slave knows what it's expected to do and won't expect any remuneration. They might get bed and board, but that's about it. The performance of their duties doesn't entitle them to any reward, and so it will be for the disciples. Their only reward lies in the fact that they have done the will of God itself. Jesus points out to the disciples that actually they are in God's debt, not the other way round. That no matter how hard they try... God is still going to expect things of them and that the greatest reward is of saying, yes, I have been obedient and I have done that which God has asked me to do. Remembering how utterly indebted each and every one of us are to God, even though at times it feels hard for us to accept that. 
The disciples have been traveling with Jesus for some time and they have been reminded of their call to follow him. But the time is coming for them, although they do not know it, when they will be expected to continue his work without him. The reminder of their slavery or their servanthood encourages them to continue the work out of their loyalty to him without expecting any other reward. Jesus points out that slaves don't need telling what to do. And in the same way the disciples of Jesus should stop hanging and waiting to be told what they need to do, the obvious tasks of the household of God. But instead, and some of the other parts of that passage, indicate clearly what is expected of us as followers of Jesus. That we should use our resources to deal with poverty, Luke 16, verses 19 onwards. To take our personal relationships seriously, Luke 16, verse 18. To let our resentments go, Luke 17, verses 1 to 4. To not be paralyzed by the injustice around us, but to start dealing with it. To not expect any reward, but rather to try and take our tiredness and our exhaustion and our bewilderment and use it again in striving for the kingdom. To stop worrying about our faith, but to act with faith instead. Now, it may well be that at this precise moment we are, all of us, feeling tired and bewildered. When we turn on the news, let's face it, I think most of us are getting quite confused by what on earth is going on. How our nation can have ended up as it is. And there is the danger, therefore, for us as Christians that we will be paralysed over the coming weeks, months, and maybe years ahead. We are living in unparalleled historic times for our nation. Our nation at the moment seems to be mirroring itself on authoritarian regimes from the past. And history does not hold out much hope that things will not get significantly worse. But we cannot be paralysed going forward. We must start to act and think clearly about how our faith commands us to respond, to organize, to think of those who are going to be the victims of our nation going forward and how can we bind up the brokenhearted and support and care and nurture them. There is no reason why good cannot triumph as often as evil. The triumph of anything is a matter of organization. If there are such things as angels, I hope that they are organized along the lines of the mafia. The times ahead might be bleak. Rising injustice and depression. And we will fail as a church, we will fail as Christians, if we say that we're too tired and that our faith is just not strong enough. We will fail if we say we are not prepared to get involved as, as the personal cost is too high, the cost for our church, the cost for our community are too high. Lord, give us faith. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to act on our faith. Let us organize to bind up the brokenhearted. Let us organize to protect the victims. Let us organize to support those who resist evil in however it manifests itself. Jesus seems to imply that merely fretting about having faith 
doesn't actually increase the faith that we have. But he does suggest that acting on faith might produce some results. So my prayer for us this week is the prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola. It says this, Teach us, good Lord, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward, save that of knowing that we do your will. May we do your will this week, O Lord, and forevermore. Amen.